0: Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your worship. And Lord, I pray that right now as we transition into your word, we pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have us to learn today, that you would help us to understand how you want to change our lives. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you would begin the process of making us into the men and women of Christ that you have called us to be. So, Lord, help us to see that. We thank you, we praise you, and we lift all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Good morning. Take your Bibles. I want you to turn to two different passages this morning. Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, both of those passages are in the New Testament, so kind of the last third of your Bible. Um, Galatians is in with a lot of eons. There's a lot of I-N-S, I-A-N-S books. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians. Uh, Philippians Colossians Uh, so kind of look for those those books and it's it's clustered there at the beginning of those Um, first Peter is towards the end it's just a few books before the last book which is Revelation now so go ahead and flip to those two Galatians chapter 5 and first Peter chapter 1 I've probably confused you so look at the table of contents because uh, I did not help you there I'm sorry. Um, So, while you're turning to Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 1, let me tell you a story. Um, When I was in seminary, I was in seminary uh, like 2004 to 2009, and uh, I enjoyed seminary. Seminary, the one I went to, was located in Fort Worth, Texas. And Fort Worth is very much like Texas. Like, when you think of the, the typical stereotypes of Texas... Fort Worth embodies a lot of that. Like I remember uh, in seminary, it was not uncommon in the part of Fort Worth I lived in uh, to get out on a weekend morning and see a horse, uh, somebody riding a horse down the street. It was, that was not an unusual sight uh, where I I went to seminary. In saying that, also one of the things that was very common in the area I was at was good barbecue. Now, I know I talked about food last week, but I'm going to do it again, so just bear with me. Now, there was a place just up the street from my house and just down from the seminary that I went to called Cousin's Barbecue. And Cousin's Barbecue was this little hole-in-the-wall barbecue joint that had been there for just over 30 years. And the smokers were in the back of the building. They weren't outside of the building. They were inside in this back room. And so you would walk in... And it just, the moment you opened the doors, it was like the smell of of smoked meat just slapped you across the face. Like, it just just soaked out of this building. And from time to time, um, I had the opportunity, my friends and I uh, at seminary, we would take a lunch break and say, you know what, let's treat ourselves, let's go to Cousins. And so we would go to Cousins Barbecue, and we would eat like king's. And then we would go back for a class that was right after lunch, and it was unusual because we would walk into the classroom and immediately everyone's eyes would fixate on us and they would stay on us until we sat down. And it was it was a little awkward at times. Like you you'd have a girl looking at you and I'm married, don't look you couldn't didn't understand why they were staring at you as you walked in and you sat down. And then it dawned on me. My wife and I went to cousins one evening. We ate, it was a beautiful night. Uh, We went home and and we were kind of winding down the evening and Jana goes, she grabbed her hair and went, I smell like barbecue. (laughs) And it dawned on me in that moment that when I went to lunch during seminary and then came back um, after a seminary, after Cousins, people were looking at us because they were jealous, because they could smell the barbecue on us. Because we reeked, if you don't like barbecue, we emanated, we, 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 just it glowed out of us the smell of smoked meats. And today, I'll come back to this story in just a moment. Today, we're continuing our series in the fruit of the Spirit. And so we find the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And so I want you to look with me in Galatians chapter 5. And let's read about what God has to say about the fruit of the Spirit. We'll begin in verse 16. So Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Catch what it says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now, Let me give you kind of a recap of of why we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit over the next uh, nine-week period. There's nine fruits, so we'll spend one weekend uh, on each fruit. Uh, Why are we spending time here? Well, First Southern Baptist is a church that has great impact in this community, and I want to see that impact grow. I want to see First Southern become the church that people look to in this community for needs and and for spiritual guidance, and to be truthful— We can know about sin, and it's important to know what sin is. But if we don't know how to get out of sin, how to avoid sin, the knowledge of that sin is useless. And according to what Galatians chapter 5 tells us, the way that we avoid sin, the way that we get away from that, is that we live by the fruit of the Spirit. And when we live by the fruit, sin has no power in our lives. If we're loving, hatred has no place in our heart. And so the idea behind this is that if we can learn to live by the fruit of the Spirit, our lives will reflect the godly character that He desires for us, and sin will have no power in our lives. So this week, we are talking about the second of the fruit, which is joy. And so joy is what we're focusing on this morning. Just like last week, we need to understand what is joy? Because there's a misunderstanding, I believe, in today's culture, especially amongst people who speak English, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Because we kind of use those two terms interchangeably, but in biblical times, in the Greek culture, which is what the New Testament was written in, there was a distinct difference between happiness and and joy they were two different things they were kind of related but they were very distinct see happiness is an emotion pure and simple happiness is based on our circumstances it's based on what's going on in our lives happiness comes and goes all the time you know i may go to cousin's barbecue and be in happiness And to be totally honest, about an hour later, all that food settles and that heavy meat, you know, drops. And then I'm not happy anymore. (laughs) Happiness comes and goes. It is an emotion. Joy is different from happiness in that joy is not an emotion. Joy is an attitude. Joy is a way that we live. It's a way we approach everything in our lives. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in. Joy is always there or it's always not there, depending on who you are. If you're a joyful person, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life are. That joy will be there. If you're an unjoyful person, it doesn't matter how good things there are you're going to be an unjoyful person. It's an attitude. It's an approach to life. It is much, much deeper than happiness. Happiness, again, comes and goes. It's fleeting. Joy is a lifestyle. And so that's what we want to focus on this morning is joy, the lifestyle of joy that God calls us to. And so let's look at what the biblical definition of joy is. If you take notes, I'm going to give you three passages before we get to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so here are the three passages. The first one is this. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 28. Proverbs 10:28 and it says this, "The hope of the righteous brings joy." Did you catch what it said there? It doesn't say the righteous It says, the hope of the righteous brings joy. And then it continues, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So that's Proverbs 10. And actually, if you go in Proverbs, you'll read several passages about joy. And it all kind of goes back to this theme of joy being something that is found in the hope of the righteous. So now the next passage, James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, verse 2. And it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this goes back to that difference between happiness and joy, one being an emotion and one being an attitude. James chapter 1 right here, if you continue reading, he talks about trials. In other words, difficulties in life, hard situations. Not happy situations, hard situations. And what does he say about Those hard situations. Count them all joy. Why should we find joy in the junk that life brings at us? Why would we want to find joy when everything's against us? It's simply this. Joy's not coming and going when things get tough, when we go through those trials. Joy, remember what Psalm 10 said? Joy, or Proverbs 10, sorry. Joy is that hope of the righteous. If we go through a difficult time, we can have joy because we have hope in our Savior. Let's be honest. When we go through difficult times, when things are failing, when finances are hard, when our body is breaking down, we need hope, don't we? And that hope is found In Christ, that hope is found in salvation. And that salvation is what brings us joy, that attitude towards life. The last passage before we get to 1 Peter chapter 1 is John 15. John 15, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. John 15, 9 through 11, and it says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. Now listen to this last passage. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That passage is clear that our joy is found in the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's that attitude that we have because we have the hope of Jesus. Now, I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend some time here. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to take a look at this passage because it has something to say about biblical joy, about joy that comes from God. So we're going to start in verse 3 and read through verse 9. So 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1 verses 3 through 9. And it says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Stop there for a second. Are you seeing a repetition of that word, hope? Hope and joy are related to one another. So let's keep going has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you may have Joy, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What an amazing passage. Now, obviously, I'm focusing on the last two verses, verses 8 and 9, because that's where that inexpressible, glorious joy is mentioned. We have to understand what's taking place in verses 3 through 7 in order to realize where we get this joy, because ultimately, this is what I want for you to be able to walk away with this morning. I want you to be able to walk away this morning and say, I'm not a joyful person, but now I know how to get there through Christ. And so that's where I want to lead us this morning. So look with me at verse three. It says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead now stop there for a second if you are a follower of christ you have this hope if you're not a follower of christ let me explain what this is talking about jesus christ came some two thousand ish years ago he came he was born of a virgin he lived a completely perfect sinless life in other words This was the only person who has ever lived on the face of the planet and never committed a single sin. And then at the end of his life, he was wrongly accused, he was put on trial, and he was crucified on a cross. In other words, he hung on a cross to the point of death. And when he hung on that cross, he took every one of our sins, our mistakes, our rebellion against God, He took all of that on himself and forgave every single one of our sins. And when he died, he took that sin and cleansed us of that sin. But then it didn't end there. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the grave in victory over that sin and over death. He had victory. He gained victory in that moment. And in that moment, he opened the door for us to have victory as well when we begin a relationship with him when we live in the hope of jesus christ when we dedicate our lives to living for christ he takes all of our sin he wipes it away he forgives everything we've done wrong and he gives us hope that's what verse three is talking about that hope that can be found in jesus christ Now he rose from the grave and then after that he ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ is in heaven with God the Father sitting at the right hand of God the Father ruling, ready to redeem this entire world. And he is the one and only way to find the hope of heaven. He is the one and only way. You cannot do enough good things. You can't be a joyful enough person. You can't give enough money. You can't go serve enough. To get to heaven, we need the life-saving, the forgiving blood of Jesus Christ if we ever want to receive heaven as our redemption. And so that's what verse 3 is talking about here. Verse 3 is all about what Christ did on the cross. Now look with me at verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade... This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through the faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So now... We have Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead in victory over sin and death, ascending into heaven, sitting at God the Father, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And now it tells us that if we have that life-changing hope of Jesus Christ in our lives, if we are living our lives for Him and we are pursuing Christ, then we get an inheritance, the ultimate inheritance. We get what we don't deserve. We deserve punishment because we sin, we rebel against God, we break the law every day. And we deserve the punishment that comes with breaking that law. But we don't get that, we get redemption, we get heaven, we get eternity in perfection. That's where our hope is, is in this inheritance. Now look with me in verse 6. Verse 6 says, in all this you greatly Rejoice! Did you catch that? We greatly rejoice in all of this. In what? In the death, the resurrection of Christ, and in our inheritance of the kingdom of heaven in following Christ. We rejoice in that. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come to you so that you've proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's going to come a day when Jesus comes back. Some of us will go see him before that day comes, and some of us, who knows, maybe we won't. But the fact of the matter is, is that one day in every single one of our lives, Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. And at that revealing, the hope and the joy that we have in Christ will bring praise and glory and honor to Him. Now look with me in verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Talking about Christ again. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with the, an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We are filled with an inexpressible joy, a glorious joy, because of Jesus. The joy that the Bible talks about cannot be found anywhere other than In a relationship with jesus christ it cannot be found in any other form in any other standard it's only found in christ so go back to my story that i began with this morning the story about going to cousins barbecue the reason i told that story is because first off i love barbecue second of all it kind of teaches us about joy You know, I would walk into my seminary classroom and people would look at me because I could sit five chairs down from them and they could smell the barbecue emanating off of me. Let me ask you a question. Do you stink of joy? (laughs) It's kind of an awkward way to say that, right? I want you to remember this. I want you to walk out the door this morning going, do I stink of joy? In other words, let me, let me clarify what I mean by that statement. Do people smell the joy on you the moment you walk into a room? Before you say a word, before you do anything, when you walk in the room, do people go, man, that's a joyful person. Does it go before you, in other words? Do you radiate joy? When people see you, are they jealous of the joy that you have in your heart? When you go through difficult times and you deal with those difficult times with joy rather than with depression or whatever it may be because those emotions come and go, but living in joy, you approach your difficult times with an attitude of joy rather than sorrow or depression or poor me or pity, whatever it is, because you respond in joy, do people look at you and envy what you have? Do you stink of joy? Does the joy you have show others about Christ? When people encounter you, and they interact with you. Do people say, I don't know what it is that they have, but I want that in my life. That's the point. If you look back at verse, verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter 1, you're going to see that the whole point of this, the whole point of joy is to point people to our Savior. Because look at what it says. It talks about giving glory And praise and honor to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of joy. Now, don't don't miss the point that we also get strength to get through the difficult times. Let's be honest. Is it easier to get through difficult times if you're throwing yourself a pity party? Or is it easier to get through difficult times if you're living in the joy of Christ? The joy of Christ, of course. And so, do you emanate joy? Do you exude joy? Do you radiate joy? Here's the question that some of you may be asking. Am I a joyful person? I don't know. I don't know many of you that well yet. Some of you I do know well, and I can say you emanate joy. When you walk into a room, people know that you have joy in your life. But if you're sitting there going, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a joyful person. Then take a look at your life. How do you respond to the difficulties that come along or how would you respond when difficulties come your way if you would have an attitude other than joy then then you need to find the joy in Christ and how do you do that and here's here's a big point right here how if you're not a joyful person if you struggle to have the joy of Christ how do you live in that joy how do you get that joy it's simply this think about study study meditate on passages like 1 Peter chapter 1, where the hope of Christ is so clearly shown to us. And over time, if you dwell on these passages, like 1 Peter chapter 1, if you think on them, if you read them on a regular basis, and you think about and meditate about just what it is that Christ did for you on that cross, the sacrifice that He made so that you wouldn't go to hell. Instead, you would go to heaven When you realize just how much you've received from Christ, joy comes in. Because the foundation of that joy is hope in Christ. When we have that hope, joy comes with it. And so, ask someone around you, am I a joyful person? And see what they say. Maybe you need to ask somebody you're comfortable with. Ask somebody that will give you an honest answer. Maybe not your spouse. I don't want to have to start doing marriage counseling this early in my ministry here for Southern. <laughs> maybe go to a very close friend, or maybe someone here at church that works around you, serves with you, volunteers with you, and ask them, Am I a joyful person? And if they hesitate, maybe you need to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 1. Maybe you need to live your life in 1 Peter chapter 1. But imagine this. Why do we want this? First off, it points people to Christ. We want to be joyful because it points people to the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. But imagine how your life and the lives of the people around you would change if you lived constantly in the joy that's found in the hope of Christ. So in my closing statement, let your joy be so strong that people can smell it on you before you ever say a word. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. God, and we thank you for your hope. The hope of Jesus Christ. The hope of salvation that can be found in nothing else other than a life-changing, hope-filled relationship with you. And God, I pray that that life-filled, that hope-filled relationship Would change us, would make us into joyful people, that our appreciation in what you've done for us on the cross would change us from the inside out. So, Lord, help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to be people of joy. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope that it brings in our lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Here in a second, we're going to move into a time of worship, singing, Um, and if you feel like you need to respond this morning, if you uh, feel like you want to talk about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ looks like, if you feel like you need to talk about what that is, or maybe you need to come up and pray and ask God to make you a more joyful person, the altar's open and I am available. I'll be standing right here on this front pew. If you need to pray or talk, now is the time to respond. Let's stand.